Okay, we are three kids in my family. I'm the baby one. Um, uh, my sister is four years old, older than me. And, um, you know, as a classic little sister, always want to do what my sister is doing. So um, one summer, uh, my dad, we were living near a lake. Um, so my dad put my, my sister in a, a canoe club. Um, and he was like, yeah, just have fun, make friends and everything. And I was too young to get in that canoe club. But I remember the first competition she actually did. Um, she is like a pure talent, opposite of me. I'm a hard worker. She's like pure talent. She tried something, she's good at it. So first race, she won. And I looked at my dad and I was like, dad, I want to do that sport. That was Andrian Langlos. I... Curtis Mansfield, and this is the Hips and Hits podcast. Once again, we are going international to the shores of Canada, but this time we not only have a distance between us, but also a language barrier, since this week's guest has French as her first language. Although, to be fair, her English is actually much better than mine. A kayaker who started on the national team at 15. She competed at her first international competition in Moscow in 2009. From that moment on, she became a multiple Pan Am champion, a Canadian champion and record holder, and perhaps her career highlight, a 2016 Olympic finalist. Remember to check out at hips underscore and underscore dips with a Z on Instagram for more details on Andrianne and all of my other guests, and stay tuned for some interesting Lions chat at the end of the show. But for now, let's head over to Quebec. It's Andrianne Langlos. Okay, Andrianne, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. Perfect. It's really nice you can join me today. Once again, another great benefit of this zoom world we live in we can connect to people all around the world and obviously in your case you're calling all the way from canada so just tell us a bit more about where you're coming from i'm actually coming from uh quebec um but right now i'm pretty much all over the place in canada uh i've been in nova scotia and now i'm in bc for a training camp but yeah i'm moving a lot but i'm staying in my own country this year so it's pretty good yeah, well, I mean, it's a lovely country to be in if you had to get stuck in one. So, um, well, I'm, I'm judging that purely on the images. I've never been myself, but I'd love to go. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's crack on, really, with some of these questions and the normal format of the show. And we always start off by talking about the guest's health in general. And very simply, how has your health been affected by this COVID pandemic? And as always, I'm interested in your physical, mental and social health. Um, my health is pretty good. Um, obviously, there was some challenge, like everyone. Um, I'm really, really fortunate as an athlete because I was able to keep performing um, and training, which is good. Not a lot of athletes uh, had that chance. So for that, I was really fortunate. And um, But yeah, it's hard time for everyone. It's It's not easy for 
for for that time to just act like everything is normal because it's not it's actually our new normal now it's been what a year now so we had to adjust not only as a queen but as a person too so yeah this pandemic brought some challenge for sure and uh, helped me learn about more about myself and uh, prioritize some stuff uh, in my life that was uh, I think I maybe put too much on the side I've got um as an athlete you think about yourself a lot and sometimes you forget like friends and family are important in this even if we had to social distance I think I really reached out a lot more so that was a good good part of it yeah and I think that that was probably mirrored around the world bringing people together has been fantastic and obviously you're quite lucky I suppose because your sport is outside um it's apart from when you're doing sort of pairs, when you're doing individual um, kayaking, you're very much on your own. So I imagine you can get away with a lot more, whereas, say, uh, a basketball player wouldn't be able to compete as much because they're indoors in a high contact sort of sport. Um, whereas uh, you can be on a lake by yourself if you need to, and you can, if need be, break it down to the bare essentials of the sport and just train by yourself. So I suppose you're fortunate in that sense. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was really fortunate, especially for uh, the COVID when we were, we went two times in lockdown. Uh, I'm living next to a lake, so that was pretty convenient for me. So I just had to like get up, take my coffee, get my boat and doing my training, which is not what everyone was able to, especially like swimmers and stuff like that. that they had to wait for the the like snow melting and get warm obviously me I just had to wait for the snow that melts and after that I was fine so yeah there's like some I think we were really lucky as a sport uh, to be able to to train even if the condition were not always the best but they were better than nothing right <laughs> well yeah exactly I think that's, that's so stereotypical of the Canadian lifestyle as well just walk out of your house grab your canoe get in the water uh, <laughs> chop some wood, hunt a bear, all the classic uh, Canadian stereotypes right there. Um, okay, so, so yes, I mean, that, that was really interesting, but moving on to this little icebreaker we have every week, and I always try and make a little game based on either the guest name or their sport. So I had a few options. Uh, the first one was a little game or a little pun, which was a uh, uh, loving canoe is easy because you're beautiful. Is a little pun on a great song, but what I have gone with instead is a pun called uh, "Can You Canoe," uh, in which we're going to do a series of tongue twisters, and I'm going to try and make the most of your French accent uh, and obviously being a French speaker by seeing if you can manage some of these English tongue twisters. Um, so I've just sent you over on your phone some of the some of the lines if you if you can see them. Uh, yeah okay <laughs> and what we're going to do is we're going to go through i'll pick a few of them out so i'll read it out first and all i need you all i need you to do is repeat it back to me okay okay sounds good okay so first of all we have <laughs> this is also going to test my uh english ability which isn't always the best <laughs> of times uh peter piper picked a peck of pickled peppers okay peter piper Peter Piper, oh, Peter Piper, pick, picking a peak of pickled peppers. 
<laughs> that would do. Next up, uh, <laughs> Betty Botter bought some butter. Actually, I did that when I was in high school. So hopefully I don't butcher it too much. Betty Butter bought some butter. Oh, fantastic. Better, better than me. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Oh, my teammate made me do that. I will butcher it for sure. Okay. How much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? <laughs> Great stuff. Very good. Uh, okay, a few more. So uh, she sells seashells by the seashore. Okay. She sells she sells by the sea source. Okay. H thing it's not. This is to have a similar one actually. Uh, so this one is uh, number eight, which is Susie works in the sh- shoe shine shop where she shines and sits and where she sits and shines. Okay. S- Susie worked in the shoe shine shop where she shine and uh, shines, she sit and where she sit and she shines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That was a good one. I was growing up. Right, and last one then, um, number ten. Uh, can you can a can as a canner can can a can? Okay. Can you can a can as a canner can can a can? Perfect. Very good. Right. So I think we'll give you full marks for that. I reckon. Um, Thanks. <laughs> very welcome. And that was another great game of can you canu. So uh, great stuff there. Right. Anyway, so let's move on to talking about uh, the more serious topics on hand. And um, we're going to talk a little bit. So first up, actually, why don't you tell us how you first got involved in the sport of kayaking? Oh, that's, a, uh, that's funny. Okay. We are three kids in my family. I'm the baby one. Um, uh, my sister is four years old, older than me. And um you know, as a classic little sister, always want to do what my sister is doing. So um, one summer, uh, my dad, we were living near a lake. Um, so my dad put my my sister in a, a canoe club. Um, and he was like, yeah, just have fun, make friends and everything. And I was too young to get in that canoe club. But I remember the first competition, she actually did. Um, she is like a pure talent, opposite of me. I'm a hard worker. She's like pure talent. She tried something, she's good at it. So first race, she won. And I looked at my dad and I was like, dad, I want to do that sport. All right, like it looks so easy. I want to do that sport. So since that day, uh, the day after I was old enough, I was, I think, six years old. So they, they like slowly start to me, like start me in that sport. And I didn't quit. I just keep paddling every day. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And this is probably quite a good point, I suppose, to um, enlighten everyone into the difference between kayaking and canoeing for all those people who don't know what we're talking about. So what's a kayak and what's a canoe? Oh, okay. That's pretty easy. Uh, 
Well, canoe is when you're on your knee and uh, you have like a, a paddle. It's only one side and you only paddle one side. It's a really impressive sport because they do have, they do not have any tools to steer. So they only use the paddle. And if you watch any competition, like they go as fast as us, if it's not faster and it can go straight without any help. So that's a pretty interesting uh, sport. I love it. I, I find it so gracious and everything. But obviously, I'm going to preach for, for my sport. And I love paddling. And kayak is great because you are sitting and, and you paddle on both sides. It's a lot of balance. And no, when you look at it on like any, like, um, let's say, at the Olympics, you're like, oh, damn, that looks easy. Like, I can do that in my cottage and everything. And yeah, it's not really that easy. It's really thin. It's as wide as our hips around. So it's pretty, it's pretty thin and it's really, uh, it's really tippy. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great sport. It is. And also it can be subdivided in terms of kayaking into the more slalom, um, white water side of things. And then the side you're involved in, which is more the flat water racing. So just highlight the differences slightly between what some people might conceive to be kayaking when they see like white water rapids and going in and out of little gates, et cetera. And then what you do, just, just highlight those slight differences. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I say I do kayak, either way people think I'm a rowers or I do like, uh, like a fast race and I like uh, go around obstacle and everything, which is funny because we never really actually hang out with the flat, flat water people. We only see them at the Olympics even if we're in the same federation, which is kind of ironic because we're a big sport, but we don't really see it. So um, I pretty much, my would say it looks like the boring style because like we don't like go against the rapid and like uh, do flip and like, it's, it's not really like scary, but it's really impressive because we can go really, really fast. So we, we have nine lanes, uh, so we compete against people instead of like chrono time. And uh, there's a lot of buoys. We have different distances from 1,000 meter, 500 meter, 200 meter. Uh, so we don't go around a course, it's straight line and we go as fast as we can from point A to point B. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much our sport. But it's not boring, it's, it's cool to watch. <laughs> I can testify to that actually because uh, this series has really served to highlight how many random sports I have tried in my life um, unintentionally, and that includes kayaking. So growing up here in England, I was involved in the Scouts as a child, and um, amongst many other activities, kayaking and canoeing is one of the ones that you tend to do. So I got involved in uh, basic kayaking, got my sort of one and two star awards, which I don't know if you've got equivalents over in Canada, but it's sort of like proficiency levels. Um, and then did some of the white water stuff, did some of the sort of longer range tours along sort of rivers, etc. here in England. And then uh, randomly, I decided to take part in a competition. So we had, I have a thing here called the London Youth Games, which is like, I think it's Europe's biggest multi-sport event or something like that for like lower level child athletes sort of thing and i got selected to represent my borough in that in a, in kayaking but we turned up at the race day and obviously i trained in uh said slalom canoeing and kayaking so 
in those very wide, wide kayaks, very easy to balance in. Uh, and I turned up at this event and it was the start line. Everyone's in sprint kayaks, which I've never been in before. I think they're called lightning. Are they called lightning kayaks? I think it was like lightning series. Yes. Yeah. In one of those with a lightning paddle. And uh, that was my first experience on the start line. Obviously, like so, so unbalanced, so uh, ungraceful on the start line and made it through my heat, believe it or not. So first time in the event, smashed it. I, I think I came like second out of eight, I think it was got through to the semi-final I was very happy very excited uh, very surprised uh so I had like you know an hour's break whatever it was then we we're back in for the semi-finals and <laughs> as we're about to go and just before the starter fires the gun my kayak capsizes uh so oh. I just lose balance <laughs> fall in uh and then there's no um, restart they just fire the gun and everyone else goes and I'm just left bobbing in this, um, is that is actually, I think it's called St. Albert, Albert's Dock, which is one of the big dry docks. Well, it was a dry dock, and obviously it's a wet dock in uh, in London. And I just sat there by myself, floating as with my kayak, waiting for this like speedboat to come and drag me back to shore. So up until that point, I thought I had a real future in the sport. And then I very quickly realised, as uh, the rest of the race left me behind, that perhaps it wasn't a sport for me. But what it does show is that I have at least tried it. So I do slightly understand um, perhaps the physical uh, ailments and stresses that it might put on your body doing that sort of sport. So um, yeah, let's just talk a little bit about kind of what the sport entails from a physical point of view. Um, like, what, what do you mean? Like, like, uh, so like, like, like from my experience, you probably need to have quite strong back muscles, core muscles, um, and probably sort of arm strength would be probably what I'd assume. Would that be fair to, fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, the irony about that earth sport is that like people think it's like all, all upper body because it's pretty much the only thing you can see because our legs are if it's not covered they barely look but it's um mostly from the legs and the core which we are really using so um yeah it's pretty uh, it's pretty hard for our uh, like hips because we are always like forward and it's like compressing our hips flexor so yeah we are really strong upper body I think is just because we do a lot of weights and everything and for sure it's useful but like when you think about any other type of sport the most important part is the long the bigger the bigger muscle you know because we're still doing a two minutes effort if it's not a four minutes effort so it's still kind of long like you cannot only use small muscle to go fast um unfortunately because that would be nice just like doing bicep and tricep for race but uh, no, we need to use our, our bigger muscles. So yeah, we're, we do use our upper body, but it's mostly all about legs and core and lower back. Uh, yeah, we, we use them a lot. Yeah, and I suppose range of motion must be quite important as well. Being able to, obviously, the longer you're, I suppose you could kind of compare the paddle entry point and exit points almost to like the stride length of a runner. So the longer, if you like, the, water, the, the more time the paddle's in the water or the more distance paddle's in the water, probably the more power you can create. So having that 
improved flexibility in your shoulders and your hip flexors will probably only benefit you when it comes to speed yeah exactly yeah it's really good to like be flexible because it's not only good to be powerful you need to have good reach so longer stroke is like farther your build will go so it's it's a it's a give and take you know yeah. you want to be powerful but like not too long because you're not gonna be as powerful but yeah it's like with experience you kind of figure it out what's the perfect stroke and what, where it's too much where it's not enough but yeah that's good okay and then um i suppose one more question for this sort of section is how do you divide up your training time between gym work and water work yeah, um, it's it depends on like when the um, comp like closer competition is 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 or is coming or not. But most of the time, it's um, we wake up. Um, I take an, like an hour, uh, like for breakfast and everything. I go to training at eight. From eight to nine thirty, I go paddle, and from eleven to twelve thirty, I go to gym or I do a run. And after at three, I do for, I go for another paddle for an hour, an hour and a half to difference. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. That make that does make a lot of sense. And it's probably, probably very consistent to what you'd see with a lot of power-based sports. So perhaps swimming, um, sprinting and, and running so athletics and stuff, cycling again, probably very similar, kind of like dividing just time between the sport and the the extras which people often forget about but that gym work so that flexibility work um recovery work etc okay so why don't you just give us a few highlights from your your kayaking career so far oh okay um my highlights uh well i'm an olympian so that's a big highlight for me um i was a uh, olympian in 2016 uh, in rio um i'm a finalist uh, i made eight in the final in k4 500 meter and i came 12 in k1 200 meter and uh, that was uh, my first olympic hopefully not the only one there is one coming up so uh yeah uh, so that uh, i'm also a canadian champion of like multiple title since I'm um, a pretty young age. I think my first um, Canadian uh, title was uh, around 14 years old. Uh, yeah, and I am, I am a Pan Am champion for, I think, eight times at least. So yeah, um, uh, I have a pretty interesting career. It's funny because when I was writing to you about my career, it's you often forgot um um nice you you did some nice stuff and it was good to like writing down and be like realizing like it's pretty impressive like yeah people maybe don't realize how much like a panem uh champion title is impressive but it it is pretty impressive it's the whole continent you're the fastest person in the whole continent so i was pretty happy about it but yeah, I think the most recent uh, success I did, uh, it was uh, um, the second most um, medalist in the Panam Games. So that's a pretty big thing. Uh, I won two gold and two silver, and I was I was pretty happy about my result. It was a lot of races, more than maybe I should have taken, but I really wanted to push that experience and see 
oh, I can push my limits. And I was pretty happy about it. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a great quote by um, Steve Jobs, uh, where he says, I think it's, it's impossible to connect the dots looking forward. And it's only obviously when you look back, you can you can uh, you can see where that path was and it's probably similar for you like you know, when you go into competitions you don't always think like oh i'm going to do this then this and then that and then sometimes it's when you it's when you have these periods of reflection perhaps during a global pandemic where you look back and you go ah oh, um that was fantastic i remember this remember that um and and yeah do yeah canada compete in the commonwealth games right am i right in thinking that uh, yeah, but not in paddling. Uh, I don't know paddling. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know why. I, they had it couple, couple many years ago, but uh, they stopped having it. So, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> so a shame. That is a shame. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the Commonwealth Games. We've had a few guests on who have competed in that, and it does always seem like a shame when you kind of assume all the sports from the Olympics would be in the Commonwealth Games, but it's. Uh, it's not the case, which is a shame. So you, you mentioned, obviously, you've been an Olympian once and in theory, you should be Olympian twice by now. So how has that been, having that extra year? Do you see that as a positive in preparation or is it very much uh, you're ready to go a year ago and this has obviously been a, been a dampen on that? Uh, I would say if you ask me, <laughs> like, a couple months after, uh, during the quarantine, I would say, oh like this is awful like like what's gonna happen like I don't know like so much uncertainty but like closer we're getting to the competition it's um it's getting more realistic like we're having trials we're having trials in less than three weeks now so we have the Olympic selection now so that's pretty like pretty realistic so that's nice to know and after we have World Cup coming up and like there's a lot of com like competition that like is coming up so it's pretty it's pretty good to have that in looking forward uh, not gonna lie I broke my finger um in the last training camp and right before we we had we were in Florida and you had to come back and we we're supposed to race in a month uh for Olympic qualifier so having not to compete with a broken finger was a pretty pretty good thing for me uh, um, so yeah, that was that was good. Uh, but yeah, obviously it's kind of like uh, hard for mind shifting, you know, like coming from um train like that. That's that was supposed to be my last year paddling, pretty much. Like I was going to retire. I was like, I'm gonna do the last circle and like. But now I had to push it one more year. So I could tell you that a couple of times this year, yeah, I felt a little hard of breath. You know, I feel like. Oh, am I gonna be able to do it like I told myself one more year and now it's two more years and it's 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 hard for people too that you were supposed to plan stuff with it like have a boyfriend and I was like supposed to like I don't know, I don't know maybe buy a house I'm like moving forward with life like finishing my school and everything and those stuff are like always pushed back but at the end of the day it's you're training for a big a big picture a bigger plan and I really want to make those Olympics so I was trying to like just bring me myself to back to my goal and be like this is okay it's only one more year it's one year in your life you will like probably not even notice so yeah yeah I think you're probably the first guest we've had who's been at the end of their career 
rather than the midpoint. So if you're in the midpoint, the extra year is a lot more positives and negatives. You've got an extra year of training, but people are already talking about sort of Paris 2024 as a target as well. Because in your case, was coming towards the end. Yeah, it is. It is interesting because like you're right. I mean, you perhaps want to get on with your life. You want to move on from paddling. And obviously this whole extra year hasn't been ideal. So as it stands, is Paris 2024 a definite no for you? Have you made that decision already? <laughs> it's funny um, because, you know, our, our last Olympic, I was uh, with the whole the crew and they were all like, oh, we are retiring. Like this is over. Like this is our last year. We'll give it all. And after it's fine, we're going to have babies and everything. And I remember when we, f- we made the final at the Olympics, we like we actually won the semi they we all look at each other and they're like screw this we're, we're we're going four more years like it's gonna be and it's hard to say and they finally retired all of them but like it's hard to say like it's easier to say like oh yeah I'm gonna quit but like am I really gonna quit like it's there's so much like stuff can happen and like it's hard to put myself forward right now I try to like bringing myself back to just baby step and like not like projecting too much if I would love to to just try new stuff you know I just want to work you know people I know people who retire and talk to me and they're like yeah you know adult life it's not it's not always like butterfly and unicorn and everything (laughs) and it's it's a little boring and I'm like you know what? I kind of want boring. Like I, I am at that part of my life. Then I, yeah, I like to just not plan anything and just be like on another kind of schedule and everything. But it's it's easy to say I'm gonna retire and two years later we can talk again and be like, yeah, I'm going for. <laughs> it's only <laughs> three year cycle, you know. It's short, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's. That's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and you said you're right. Pl- plenty of people have retired and then come back. I mean, in this country, a lot more focus is put on rowing, but we've had plenty mm-hmm. of rowers who have retired um, and come back. Like this year, I think Helen Glover, who's a rower, British rower, she's coming back mm-hmm. to compete again after retiring for well, basically four years. Um, and there's been plenty of people who come back and won medals, who have retired, etc. So yeah, saying not beyond the question. Uh, but in terms of this Olympics, so the 2021 Tokyo Games, what is your realistic target going into that event? Um, that's a good question. It's uh, it's a little hard to know because right now uh, there's so many options that's still open for um, the selection. So I don't really know what heaven I'm going to aim for because we can go, f- I can do K4, 500, I can do K2, 500, I can do K1, 500, and K1, 200. So there's a lot of them that can happen. And you cannot always mix it, mix them up. Sometimes they're like really close, close together, especially in the Olympic schedule. Sometimes they just put an hour apart. So uh, I, I would say I'm aiming for K4, 500 for sure, because this is one of the best race you have to share stress with your teammate but you have to share happiness sand like it's like everything is so nice like you it's like a union like like together you're like mix 
um, just everything together. And it's nice. It's pretty inspiring seeing four people aiming for the same goal, but they are not coming from the same place. They don't paddle the same, but they still can make their boat work. So that would be that and making, obviously being a finalist and I'm not gonna lie, our campers, it's pretty good right now. Like we, I'm, I'm pretty confident of what can happen at the Olympics. So at the end of the day, once you make a final, it's just every, like, hey, throw a deck of card and pick your card because everything can happen. Uh, so that would be one of my my goals, and I think yeah, I can win two hundred. I wanna I wanna I wanna be back at it, and I want my I want my payback. I think in two thousand sixteen, I was a little disappointed about my result, but it's because I think I wasn't really ready. It was my first year competing with the Olympic level as much as uh, like I never raced against those girls. Normally, I saw them on YouTube. And now the same year I was racing against them. So I was a little like, you know, good. It was good because I was like, oh my God, they're so fast. But I was actually starting faster than all of them. And I was pretty happy about it. But I think I got a little caught up into that, like too much impressed, like about like my adversary. So yeah, it'll be good to like have my, I don't know, coming back and like fight for it and see where it's going. Fantastic. That's, um, that's very exciting for you. And I'm, I'm very excited to watch as well. I haven't canoeing's one, canoeing and kayaking is one of those sports, which, you know, I'll be honest with you. It's not top of my list for watching. Normally we have, um, you know, cycling, athletics, swimming, rowing, there's quite a few sports the Olympics I love to watch, but I have watched it most years, bits and bobs, but this year, I'll certainly pay more attention, particularly when uh, you're competing. So I'm looking forward to that. For anyone listening, this just remind everyone that the obviously the K stands for kayaking. So you've got C and you've got K, so canoeing and kayaking. And then the number is a number of people. So K1 is one person, K2 is a pair, K3, is that K3? Trip, is it three people? No, there's no K3. K4. K4 is four people. Um, I'd love to see K8, if that was possible just have like eight people sat in a huge boat that'd be fantastic k16 just keep going but uh k32 just keep going keep time we, we keep actually uh in canada we do have c15 we call it work canoe right. we do race at national it's pretty it's pretty amazing it's it's an interest it's all wood boat it's pretty nice uh but yeah that's the only like big number of people um we do have as a boat uh, but yeah it's you should watch a race of 15 you you can find it on youtube i'm sure <laughs> oh yeah I'll, uh, I'll check that out afterwards um but yeah yeah so so yeah so obviously you got so you got k kayaking number means number of people in the boat and then obviously the, the second number is the distance so k1 200 would be 200 meters of one person in a kayak correct yep. yeah so uh, if anyone got a bit lost in your explanation there, that's what that's what you meant. Um, okay, so I think I think well, actually, I was going to save this question for later on, but I think it probably fits in quite well with what you were saying, which is kind of how do you as an athlete manage competing in multiple events at the same games? So it's obviously an issue which affects lots of sports. So again, you say you look at Usain Bolt when he won his treble back in 2012. He had to compete in the 100 meters, 
you know, heat semi-final, final, 200 meters, heat semi-final, final, and then the relay semi-final, final, et cetera. So lots of races and short succession, same for lots of sports. And obviously that would apply to you if you're doing, I said, I think you at the Pan Am games and you do the, you do the K1, the K2, I've got it written down here actually, K1, K2, K, K2, 500 meters, K4, 500 meters, K1, 200 meters and K1, 500 meters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, winning two golds and two silvers in the process, which obviously is very impressive. So you obviously you manage it very well, but it must be very hard to manage performance versus recovery. So saving enough in the tank for those finals, but also making sure you get there. So how do you approach that sort of in a preparation point of view? Oh yeah, it's um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, that really depends on what type of competition you're 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 going forward, um, and like you really have to look at the schedule um, most of the time. And um, I think experience also help. Uh, like you know your competitors, so yeah, yeah. Like sometimes you line up, uh, you could have eat, and even if let's say it's even national, like it's not like it's not international, you have to eat, but you know the people who's gonna race, you know some people who are racer who's gonna go all in, no matter what, and they're gonna want to win. And it's sometimes you you just know that there's, yeah, you cannot hold on and eat and you just have to go all out. And sometimes you, you, you like, you, you know, like you're like, you know your competitor and they, you're like, okay, I'll just go my race plan and everything. But um, yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to know. It's, you really go by feeling, but like most of the time when you have to eat, you try to feel good and do like a ninety percent effort kind of thing. So you're like, okay, I'm gonna go down the lane and I'm I'm gonna keep myself a little juice. Semi, if you're asking me more uh, in paddling world, I would say it's the hardest hardest race. It's not a final. Finals are like cookies and candies. The like it's really like sem the semi-final. It's hard. Like you cannot miss a stroke, and you have to give it all in. Uh, no matter what kind of competition, that could be Pan Ams, that could be national, that could be even um, Olympics. But uh, not gonna lie, at me Olympics experience, uh, I was going to go all out every race like, I was like I didn't want to miss any any chances or anything and the like everyone is going all out they don't want to miss like a semi for uh, being too cocky about it or whatever so yeah um I, I think it really depends on the type of competition and it, like if you know you're a challenger or you're a leader you know like if you're a challenger buckle up and just try your heart every race and if if you're a leader and you're like one of the favorite like I think you can take it a little easy and eat a little less easy in the semi and go all all out in the in the final is there an advantage to qualifying fast do you get like an inside lane is that as advantageous <laughs> yeah um yeah for sure uh that's why I really like to win most of my race it's it, you're in the middle so it's funny because in the 200 meter i i love it to be in the middle but if i'm in the 500 meter which is a more a strategic kind of race 
because it's a little longer and everything, I don't mind being on the side. I kind of like to be the underdog, you know, like, so, yeah. And then finally for this, for this sort of section, what about like nutrition and hydration when it comes to recovery? Cause said you might have a race every day at these major competitions. So how do you finish one race and then get physically prepared for the next one? Yeah. Um, uh, obviously hydration is really important, even if it's cold or not, like he, most of the people, sometimes they get, uh, they don't really eat a lot after competition or during competition. And it's like a terrible mistake because you're like a racing car, you need fuel. And if you don't fuel your car, it's not going to go so far. So you really try to like, um, eat as much as you can and with experience you kind of know what you can digest or not you know eggs can make it it just doesn't work for me but like I can see people eating a, a leftover pizza before race and they're fine you know it, it really depends on all, all you really um, manage um, manage it and all you know yourself but for sure like uh, nutrition is a big part of it. Uh, I do try to eat a lot, a lot of carbs right before, um, like in the, the the night before my races, especially if I'm doing a 500 meter effort. If it's a 200, I kind of like, uh, since I love it, then I kind of like get stress out of my shoulder. I kind of treat myself. So I don't mind the, taking a steak, you know, like something a little more heavy than I know I, it might take longer to digest, but uh and a beer you know i i i don't i don't mind a beer before before race uh, it, it's fine like uh, yeah it's just i think you need to find stuff that makes you happy and uh you can really digest well like i i i i drink chalk milk before my race and yeah i'm 27 and i still drink chalk milk and it's okay for me <laughs> <laughs> i'm just uh, i'm just trying to think of the physics behind it all um obviously you have weight but then obviously you also got buoyancy acting against it and water resistance etc but is is it a big advantage is power to weight ratio important when it comes to your sport so obviously you know you're 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 quite a muscular woman you have quite a lot of obviously muscle and power which is important for your sport but is it is it always a constant battle to try and keep your weight as low as possible while maintaining that muscle mass um i would say not for me uh i know some of my competitors do actually play that line you know um obviously i don't try to eat uh, a slice of cake uh, a month before every day a month before my competition i kind of like i'm a little more self-aware of like not not getting weight i don't mind losing a little but like there's like that slight gap of like the perfect body weights ratio, you know. Um, uh, I used to be 121, uh, my perfect weights ratio, but I gained, I gained a lot of weights um, and uh, healthy weights. And it's like, now I'm like, oh, where's my weights ratio? Like, which one is the perfect one? Is it mm -hmm. 121? I would have to drop like seven pounds. That's a lot. Or should I just like play it around a little bit? And um, I was actually talking to my nutritionist about that. And she was like saying like, yeah, just be a little more careful on the card, but like, don't go crazy. And like, it's not going to change a lot. I think it's during the year you have to be aware of like, 
but yeah, obviously you need to be powerful and being able to get your butt out of the the the, the box during the the race, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think so many sports, it's a constant battle between weight of muscle, overall mass versus the power you can generate, etc. So, and uh, yeah, I suppose it does make perfect sense, but probably for you, slightly less than, say, perhaps like a cyclist or, or a runner because you have that effect of being in the water. So it sort of somewhat neglates the weight you have. So the more, although mm-hmm. you're, if you're heavy because the water is acting against it, you're kind of, it semi cancels out, but it will still have a difference, but probably not as much as other sports. Um, okay. So I think we can probably draw a line there underneath the, the kind of competition side of things, which is always, which is always fascinating. But what we want to get on with to with you is obviously injuries, which is the main scope for this series of podcasts. But I think in your case, it's quite interesting to explore both your physical health and your mental health. Um, so if we start off on the physical side of things, what kind of injuries have you had over your career so far? Oh, um, classic paddling problem, a shoulder problem, you know, when you don't have a proper technique, I would say, or when you are young and you, you don't believe in warm up, you know, you don't believe in doing exercise like, you know shoulder exercise who need those i want to do bicep and tricep and like you know the one that actually looks like i'm doing something but it's really not the truth although you get more you understand but yeah i did have some pretty bad shoulder problem um like uh i could even left my shoulder at one one time uh before trial so that was pretty bad that was mostly when I was a little younger now I'm really more self-aware so we do a lot of like elastic and like exercise to like reinforce the shoulder and uh, just all the muscle around it um but my bigger uh, injury was my hips um at one point uh I think it was in 2014 to 2015 I was going to retire because uh I couldn't run anymore I barely could paddle every time I was pushing uh, my hips was popping out so it was pretty painful um, for a really long time um, I went to see a surgeon and the surgeon was telling told me pretty straightforward you have two choices either way we break your hips in threes so your hips like your legs and your hips are stay connected and they don't pop out anymore or you just cross finger and you keep paddling and you do your stuff and if your hips pop out we'll do the surgery so at this point I just looked at him and I was like you know what I'm not ready for retiring and I know I'm gonna regret it for the rest of my life and so I'm gonna keep paddling and I'm gonna try to reinforce everything around it um, and hope for the best. So since that day, this, this is exactly what I am doing. I'm reinforcing all the muscle around my hips. Uh, so making sure that like some exercise I don't do anymore because it like get the pain a little too intense. So yeah, I try to be a little more intelligent although you get i would say you being more cautious and intelligent of what you need and what you should do and this is what i 
I learned with my injuries in the past few years. Great. I, I do love an injury that involves a hip on a podcast called Hips and Dips. So we do love that. So I myself have this problem in my hip where I've got this impingement on the bone, um, which sort of my main sport is probably hockey these days. Um, and that constant strain you put through your, your left side of your body when you sort of hit the ball or pass or run um, means that, yeah, I get a lot of pain in my left side, sort of really debilitating pain. And so I'm currently waiting for probably a similar surgery to what you're talking about, about removing that that um, obstructing bone and then sort of making it all heal, hopefully. But in a similar vein to you, I've done a lot of sort of leg strengthening and hip strengthening exercises, trying to make the whole area, as you said, more secure, um, take a lot of the strain off the bone and put it more through the hip flexors, et cetera. So um, I think I've got a good idea of what you're talking about. Uh, and yeah, I can certainly sympathize because it's not been a pleasant experience. Um, but said, I'm quite interested with you to move on from that really, because I want to talk about your mental health because you've mentioned this in our sort of conversations beforehand and how you've had some troubles with that. And I think it's really great to hear from, um, I've, we've heard previously from a woman who's retired from elite sport due to mental health issues. But I think in your case, it'd be great to hear from someone who's still competing and managing mental health issues. So why don't you just give us a little bit of background as to as to what's gone wrong in the past? Yeah, um, yeah, uh, my story is pretty, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, I would say 2016, I have the best year of my life, you know, I got married. I, I, um, I made the Olympics. I made pretty good result. Uh, I was in a program that I love and everything, everything was fine. Everything was beautiful. And, uh, one year later, um, I was starting to feel a, a little tired everything. And, but it was fine. I went to see a psychologist and he was like, yeah, like sometimes it does happen. You know, when you realize a big dream, like you can like, uh, like you are in emotion for a while and after it's dropping down so he's like just be careful like just just like have fun and everything and that's what I was trying to do but uh we, um, we had a new coach on the national team um so I had to leave my coach I've been working for a while with it and it, I would say it was part like part of my family pretty much we mm. hang out I was living just over him pretty much so it, it was like yeah it was hard for me it was heartbreaking uh to not having him as a not also a coach but as a confident so it was hard to trusting someone else um um and like go back to a different program so it was day and night you know I'm most most I'm a sprint athlete so I like really like intense stuff but like like quality but in the other program it was mostly a lot of more volume uh, that we're used to and it was I think too a little too hard for me but I was still pushing it you know like I was like yeah like I did 2016 I did good resolve I want more I want more always like you know classic type hey you want more and more and more you're never mm -hmm. satisfied so in the, that training camp I would say in 2017 18 um I lost a big amount of, of weight. I would say around 20 pounds. Uh, got really, really tiny. Um, was still really strong, but um, 
I was starting, starting to feel really, really tired. Everything was an effort. Um, I did trials. I did one of the best trials I ever did. But I remember two days before, I wanted to just go away. I was like, I'm down. Like, I don't want to do that with those trials. I felt like my world was like closing. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I like, I, why am I doing that? Like, I'd rather be on my couch and doing nothing. So um, they, they sent, I, we, after we went back home and I, I took a couple of days off and I had to go back to a training camp to go prepare to World Cup. And I had to actually said, uh, I can do it. I did two training. And I came back, I called my coach from um, my old coach and I was crying and I was, the only thing I was able to say is, I can't do it, I can't do it. And he was like, why can you do it? Like trying to, and I was just, I couldn't, I was just bawling my eyes. So it was a pretty hard time. That's where I think I would say I hit the rock bottom. And uh, I realized that, yeah, I was, something was broken. And I didn't know where to point it. And it's funny because when an athlete, something is broken, normally it's physically. So if something is broken, it's fixable and it's easy. Your shoulders pop out, surgery. You know, like it's, it's like you, you can, it's easy to like kind of figure it out. Or at least you have a plan, a plan that's like normally uh, like physio would take you three months but in that case it was like an open world like where am I going to get better how do I get better who I can reach out who I cannot reach out what should I do and it was really hard to like figure it out all that together and uh, uh, it took me a while it really really took me a while and it was um a roller coaster of emotion i was surrender of great people and i'm really grateful for that um but yeah it took me i would say a year and a half just to be able to to race and be ready but uh i did it pretty differently than what people actually suggest me normally people were like telling me stop training like you need time off you need time for yourself and everything but I couldn't I I I knew I was not done or at least I didn't want to be done I was asking people am I done should I stop like maybe it's insanity like I'm pushing too much or uh like my body's telling me no but like and my mind's telling me no but I'm still saying yes so there's a big challenge there but yeah, I was still competing. I was still fighting. And it, I would say it was like taking two step, three step back, two step, three step back. By the end of the day, I was still crawling forward. It took me a while, but yeah. And now I'm back. It's been a year now. I'm back with the national team. Um, yeah. And it's... Um, I think I'm a better person. I don't know if I'm a better athlete, but I would say I'm a better person uh, just with all the stuff that I learned and about myself and a lot more about like respecting myself. That was a big part of my journey recovering. Yeah, no, it's, it's such a frustrating element when it comes to anything to mental health, which is, 
this kind of stock phrase which is used by neurologists and psychologists and uh psychotherapists etc which is like the brain is still a relatively unknown um thing and like i said when it you know cardiologists have a very good knowledge about how the heart works and you know um renal experts know how the kidneys work etc but when it comes to the brain when it comes to mental health there's still a lot of undiscovered um problems and therefore treatments are much more varied and and it's very hard because i said i agree as athletes and as people in general we, we want answers we want to know why this is a problem how do we fix this we want to be given like you know you, you do this you do that and then you'll be better again we do this procedure you'll be better etc whereas when it's like oh well we can try this we might try some medication we might try some talking therapy maybe we'll see a psychiatrist maybe we'll do this it's like well these were maybes you kind of you want to have definitive answers and mental health as very rarely is that um which is so hard so hard yeah definitely yeah it is yeah so i've been lucky not to be in that position right which you were in but um, one thing i think would be great is i'd love for you to um i'll give you the details of a guest you've had on previously who was uh sarah colin who was one of my earlier guests and she battled with a lot of mental health through her career i think it'd be great if you two could have a chat and share sort of ideas about how you've coped and maybe have a good conversation there so we'll definitely put you two in touch um but obviously as you said you're now you're now much healthier you're in a much better place um certainly mentally um i i'm sure probably physically as well and that'll probably become apparent in the next olympics but from a day day-to-day -day basis um and in competitions now in training now do you have any sort of coping mechanisms you use yes i do actually um this is like how i learn it's i i, I do a really a lot of mindfulness um uh i used to this is like oh musician whatever like <laughs> i don't need that um, i'm fine but it's kind of good to like um uh put yourself back in the present moment um especially even in competition or ever like when i'm too stressed on a line how long does it take to take really for nice deep breath and be like you're gonna be fine nobody's dying today like you know sometimes you get in that bad spiral you know it's like it's like i don't want to go like i'm gonna do race that it's gonna be so hard and i and you're like spinning and spinning and yeah i just like that mindfulness thing really saved me a lot of uh, anxiety uh, like it was a big relief um but yeah i think i pretty much learned to just uh do what's good for you and if it's watching tv show good for you if it's training it's good for you painting i do number painting hey i'm 27 and i look like a, a old lady that's doing puzzle and uh, painting and it's fine i, I don't mind <laughs> it's just <laughs> like yeah just trying to find stuff that's like stress release and focus on the right moment and i i think i really appreciate that uh, and i appreciate that i learned that about myself yeah um, i think you have to obviously appreciate that everyone's unique and like i said yourself um for you there's clearly benefits maybe just to taking that pressure off yourself and like you said no one's gonna die today it's just a race and really like breaking it down 
Um, but you see like some people really respond well to that high pressure environment and being in that mm-hmm. like all or nothing. Look at some American football players and the only way they perform is by thinking like this is life or death. Like you have to be in that sort of mindset and you have to be so pumped up for it. But other players um, compete so so well when they take that pressure off themselves and they do think oh it's just run over here catch the ball or whatever it is whatever your move is and other people have to be in that like make or break life or death kind of mindset so it is all about being unique and about finding what works well for you and that's something which to be fair so slightly away from the mental health side of things but in terms of the performance side of things saying i'm still trying to discover am i the kind of person who needs to be really fired up or maybe i need to find more of a of a relaxed mindset to compete with when it comes to sport or a bit of a hybrid of the two so that's something which we can all perhaps learn more from what what advice would you give to um, other athletes from other sports and your own who may find things a bit overwhelming and perhaps have a similar story to what you've had what sort of advice could you give them i would say reach out just reach out like first if you like if if you feel overwhelmed or if you think there's a problem, there's probably a problem. That's what I, I learned. If, and maybe you're making, making it bigger in your mind. That could be like an argument with a coach or I don't know, um, you miss out a eat or I don't know, you, <laughs> your equipment broke before a race. You know, that's kind of like all that kind of stuff. That's like, but like, it's just like sometimes you just have to reach out to people like um I, I think that was my problem as an athlete is that uh I'm the has a disease like I'll do it myself I'll do it myself and it's always hard for that to like move forward when sometimes you need help sometimes you do need to reach out to people that could be friend your mom whatever a teammate and sometimes you get like surprised of like how people react actually. Um, and I, actually the, the, those advice. So yeah, I would say when you feel overwhelmed, uh, just take four deep breaths and figure out a plan. And if you're not sure about your plan, ask people and they will help you out. And yeah, trust people. <laughs> Yeah, um, awesome. And I think that is not only applicable to elite athletes and and any athlete, but it's applicable to everyone at the moment. And this global pandemic, to varying extents, maybe slightly less in Canada than it has in the UK, but it it has acted to isolate people. Um, and it therefore means um those support networks don't always come to you you've got to really seek them out so normally you might have that communication with a teammate or a coach or or someone at work or someone you see in the shop every day or whatever it may be or someone you see on your walk but but now because you're spending more time by yourself if you don't seek out that um support network it's not going to come to you so so you're right. If you do feel you're struggling at any point or anyone is, then yeah, just find someone to talk to, reach out to a friend or a family, because if you don't reach out to them, they probably won't reach out to you because you're not having those everyday communications and to meet up with people is very much, it can be very easy to become very isolated if you're not careful. So yeah, we can extend that, that advice to everyone really. Um, okay. So I think that kind of brings to an end my 
preset topics. I think we've had some really great uh, conversations there about the sport in general, how you've achieved what you've achieved. Um, So physical injuries, mental injuries, and kind of your plans for the upcoming Olympics. So, so fantastic. But to to finish, I always give all my guests a chance to talk about anything they want in this segment we call any other business. So has, does anything spring to mind from the world of sport or current affairs that we can talk about? Yeah, I, I, I don't mind. I I was thinking about like a subject like pretty relating to sport and Corona. So like uh, both, both big subjects that are, that are like in our life right now. I was thinking about like um, the acts, should athletes should have access to vaccine for the Olympics. And I think that's a pretty good, pretty good subject to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Obviously, very hot topic. I said it's interesting because this episode will actually be aired, um, probably not for a good few weeks. So, the the um, the news might well have broken by then about what has happened in this case and whether those mm-hmm. vaccines have been given or how they've been distributed more. So, but obviously, all we can talk about now is what's in the news at the moment, and mm-hmm. it's interesting because obviously we're coming from two different countries. Um, here in Britain, I, I know our strategy very well because I work in the NHS, so I've got a good idea about how it's working. And there's been no mention so far of any plans to vaccinate elite athletes in any different way to how they would the general population. And I don't know if there's any different discussions on your end over in Canada. Um, I would say uh, not from the Olympic Committee, for sure. Uh, I think they are really, um, they, yeah, it's really hot topic. So it's fair that they are really cautious about it. Uh, but I would say that um, the NHL had the kind of like a pretty much like they came forward with that. They were like, we'll get vaccine and like we'll keep for- going forward with our um, hockey uh, league. Uh, they had to back down uh from that because people were really upset because as a nurse student, uh, I do understand the priority about uh, health, uh, general health, you know, um, we are healthy people, we are young, we're not in the, um, I'm not saying we cannot get it and it's not dangerous, but I'm just saying like this, this is a really good debate about uh, what's ethically okay and not. Uh, we had a couple chat with, with their teammate here because uh, we're gonna have to go to Brazil probably to qualify our spot and people, some people don't feel secure about it, which is totally fair because Brazil is not doing so great right now. And uh, it's like, what's the priority? Putting a life in danger, maybe it's like, May like weigh the poor, like the pro and cons always, and it's always been like that since the coronavirus. It's always like, oh, like should I or should I not? Like, oh, like should I not see my friend? But I know, like, it's like not like should I see them? I want to see them, but like, so yeah, I I th- I think it's a good good subject and it's good good to debate. Like, I don't know, as an athlete, I would say for right now. Uh, if they say you have to get vaccine to go to Olympics, um, I would say no, but that's for me right now. And it's like, 
yeah, uh, it's hard to like put yourself forward to like if you really had the decision to make. But yeah, it's 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 a weird time and it's like yeah. all to prioritize, <laughs> you know, your dream or people not dying. Like, you know, it's and it's totally like I understand both sides of the story. I'm more in the like, you know, general health is more important. But yeah, not everyone think the same. But. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a fantastic debate, and um, I certainly it's a tricky one because you said you can see it from both sides. So I just had a little Google now, actually, and apparently in 2016, and this seems like less than I than I'd have thought actually. But according to this these statistics, there was 11,238 athletes at the Rio Olympics, and I thought that'd be more than that, but. Anyway, so let's just say so it's roughly say eleven and a half thousand athletes, and then if we take into account, there's probably let's say and add on another thousand coaches. Even if you said you can only have a space, very minimal support staff, you can only have like one coach maximum per per team, and you can only have maybe say one physiotherapist, and that's it, or whatever. Even if you went with that very skeleton level of staff we're still talking about twenty thousand people at the games um which obviously would require a total of forty thousand vaccines probably if you're going to go with the double doses which most of them require so that's that's that is a lot and that's a lot for a lot of countries to which are currently struggling to vaccinate the most vulnerable um obviously if you're looking forward to the summer a lot of particularly western countries are hoping to be at a point where the most vulnerable would already be protected. Uh, mm-hmm. But then you've got, which is always a debate when it comes to Olympics, it's such a multicultural event that, you know, you've got athletes coming from Kenya and Ethiopia and countries who currently haven't got any real vaccines. Um, and then if you were going to say vaccinate uh, a Kenyan runner when there's plenty of very old or very ill people who, who haven't got vaccines, it seems a bit unfair. Um, if the IOC and the Western countries decide, oh yeah, we'll pay for the vaccines for those people, um, it then becomes like, well, then why can't you pay for the vaccines for the poor people as well? So well, there's so many elements to this debate. Um, I suppose I suppose it, it falls under a slightly larger debate, which is what are they going to do for the Olympics? Um, will, it, will they make some sort of biosecure bubble um which works for some sports obviously the nba did it fantastically in america having that sort of everyone you know one venue everyone in the same place um regular covid tests etc but obviously we're talking about like twenty thousand people in this bubble which is a ruddy big bubble um we tried it over here recently we've got the six nations which is going on at the moment which is a big rugby tournament we have in in Europe and again all those teams are kept in sort of supposedly secure bubbles for the duration of the competition now I mean that's another debate to be had there because some of the players are going back home for weekends to see their family which is in my opinion not a secure bubble um but supposedly they are um so yeah I mean yeah so so what would your solution be If if you were in charge of the IOC what do you reckon you would suggest knowing what you know now uh, that's a really good question. Uh, if oh man, um, I it's okay. <laughs> I'm really a pragmatic person, so I would say not make making the Olympics happening. <laughs> yeah, but um, 
yeah, I think it's just, uh, there's a lot of costs. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, to know what's the actual, like, um, the best way to make that happen. But it's just like, how can you assure the security of everyone? Like, I, I know I heard a lot of her article that even like athletes, high level athletes that had COVID, they have um, marks on their heart as they, like if they had a heart attack, you know, like, and they were healthy people, but it's just, we don't know the long-term kind of like, uh, and that's a nurse talking, you know, <laughs> long-term yeah. what's, what has going to happen if it's no, no, you're, you're, you're definitely right. I'm not sure if you know this, but I'm a, I'm a clinical pharmacist. So I work in a, in a hospital here in, in the UK. So I, I have worked in COVID wards. I worked in intensive care. So I've got a pretty good idea about the short-term effects, but you're right. We don't know the long-term effects yet. I know plenty of people who have had COVID and have this, this condition we sort of call long COVID, which affects like people's VO2 max and their ability to sort of run mm -hmm. and jog and do exercise, which is fine if you're just thinking about going to the shops, but you're right. If you're an elite athlete, you could be talking years before you're back up to your best. So there is a genuine risk to your, to your career and to your, you know, your way of earning a living, etc. If you do compete, one idea I did have um, before, it was to, um, which sounds like a lot of moving parts, but it might well be the best solution. And I had this idea actually a year ago, back before they postponed the original Olympics, um, and it's probably still valid now. But it would be to move the Tokyo Olympics to 2024. Um, so it'd be Rio, uh, sorry. So yeah, Tokyo 2024, Paris 2028, and then when they decide mm -hmm. the new, the next Olympics, which hasn't been done yet, I don't think, uh, when they decide that, that will then be moved to 2032, etc. So everyone gets moved back a cycle. And then obviously for the athletes this year who obviously want to compete and they have a right to compete, you hold like, to put it bluntly, like a, like a shitter Olympics. Um, so there's still, and maybe the best solution would be to not have everything in one place because mm -hmm. that has all its own problems so you could for example have the kayaking in america and the running in london and the swimming in australia or whatever so you have a series of biosecure bubbles around the world where sports are kept by themselves and no one's allowed in or out of those competitions or finally you just move it whole thing say to australia Australia's already got all the facilities from the Sydney Olympics. Um, it's currently got a very low infection rate. All the athletes go there. Everyone's quarantined for two weeks. Everyone's swabbed and tested. So you know nobody's got it. Therefore, you can have the competitions knowing your risk of catching it is basically zero, um, which is good for you. It's good for the sports. It's good for any, um, well, probably minimal spectators, but anyone who is involved. You still get your chance to compete for Olympic medal, but it's not as good as a proper Olympics, but let's be honest, I think it's unlikely this Olympics will be a proper Olympics anyway. Even if there mm -hmm. are fans, it's going to be minimal fans, um, which is heartbreaking for people like you who have waited so long for it. But but yeah, I think maybe that for me, rather than, for it, because if the, if the Olympics does go ahead this year um, and Tokyo do host it, Tokyo will suffer terribly from the financial impacts of hosting a major event with no fans, like the money they've invested mm -hmm. in it to not they won't get it back from flights and tourism and sales so they're at a loss anyway 
So I, I think the best thing would be to take it away from them, move it till 2024 so they can make maximum returns on their investment. Paris can wait to 2028 and maybe this year they hold some sort of hybrid Olympics that you do it in different countries or you do it in a safe country like Australia. I mean, would, you, would, that, would that be a solution potentially for you? Yeah, for sure. Like, um, yeah, we did talk, like, we were joking around, like, well, joking, you know, trying to find solution. And we're like thinking about like, yeah, like pretty much doing like worlds. It's mm. pretty much worlds, but like we qualify as Olympic and we make it like, we, we'll make it like with the media and everything because that will be pretty much the same thing in Tokyo. Like nobody, not, not our family will be able to go and um and people like they're only going to be able to see it and and um uh on tv and there's like no stands so like tokyo people's like they're not gonna enjoy it as much anyway so yeah it's yeah it's a lot of um it's good solution for sure but uh yeah i don't know like where's the limit like i know there's like oh, should we back down or not? Or like, and like, there's a little, maybe a little pride and it's a lot of, it's it's really, it's an expensive event, you know? Like, so yeah, it's hard to back down when there's so much commitment to it, uh, for sure. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see about it pretty much. I, yeah, it's, they do have a lot of challenge and I'm really happy not being in, their feet because i only have to compete but uh pretty much our federation was telling us that what we're going to do it's going to be pretty much an in and out like we're going to go there compete and leave so we're not going to stay there for long yeah at least if we are allowed to go there finger cross <laughs> yeah and is that the i mean this debate could go on. we could we could talk about this for hours but the financial implications of the Olympics is 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 incredible. I mean, obviously, we had the Olympics here not that long ago, back in well, actually, it feels like ages ago now, twenty twelve. Um, and so, I was lucky enough to be involved in some extents with sort of Olympic ambassadorship and going to a few events and obviously seeing the spectacle, which it was, which was fantastic, a fantastic Olympics. But I'm not sure exactly what the stats are, but the money we spent was was incredible. Um, much of which hasn't been fully repaid yet, even though it's always a complicated one because where does the money go? Like it's tourism, it's investment in food and restaurants and shops, it's uh, money in schools, it's um, uh, obviously the money was invested in like making the infrastructure better, so streets and road signs, etc., which... Um, obviously has long-term benefits as well as the Olympics. So there's a whole, there's a whole range of where money's spent, but the money is astronomical. And if you have a games behind closed doors, Tokyo can't cope with that. I mean, that's a massive expense. Um, but yeah, if we go back to the original point, which was about vaccines, I personally would probably opt towards a different solution. So maybe it's using those biosecure bubbles, um, having those quarantine periods, uh, maybe moving the games around a bit more as opposed to using the vaccines. Um, but and in this in this ever-changing world, the Olympics is until the summer. By the time the Olympics comes around, maybe there'll be a, a more generic vaccines produced. There'll be, be a surplus of vaccines. It might actually be a very feasible idea, but 
I think the idea of taking sort of so let's, let's call it 40,000 doses of vaccine away from at the moment people who maybe need it more maybe the elderly maybe the disabled maybe those poorer countries who can't afford it I'd probably opt towards a side of not using it for athletes but I can totally see it from both perspectives agree <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you said, yeah, we could talk about that for hours, but let's, uh, I think we'll draw a line under it there. But a fantastic uh, conversation, one that I'll definitely be mulling over my brain probably all night. Um, so to finish, uh, where can people find you if they want to find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, I'll try to... Uh, I have Instagram, for sure. They can. I'm pretty good at answering people. Uh, so if they have questions or anything, they can just... Uh, go go there and talk to me at facebook too but yeah i'm pretty pretty open pretty much like as long as you're nice and polite uh, i will reply to you and it'll be a pleasure to 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 talk to you and help you out if i can do fantastic so what what's the instagram handle oh it's uh, my name so adrian langlois so a n d r e a n n E-L-A-N-G-L-O-I-S. <laughs> so for anyone who didn't have a pen and paper to hand, uh, I will Hopefully. I will <laughs> I will add that to the uh to the show notes and it'll be tagged on my Instagram, which is at hips underscore and underscore dips of a Z. Um and all the information will be there as well on uh both uh this guest and all my previous guests. So definitely check that out. Uh, and so all that leads me to say really is hopefully Olympics will go ahead and hopefully you can have your success there. I'll certainly be cheering for you from here in the UK and wish you all the best of luck for that. And finally, just thank you for coming and joining me today. Thanks so much. It was so fun. Thanks to Andrianne for her time. Always class to catch up with an Olympian and seeing what really makes them tick. Not a sport I always pay particularly close attention to, but it's certainly one I will do in Tokyo. Check out her socials, so at Andrianne Langloss, which is A-N-D-R-E-A-N-N-E-L-A-N-G-L-O-I-S. I'll tag it in my Instagram page as well. Um, I always have to think of Rocky, actually. Andrianne! But, um, but yeah, sorry, that's just something that constantly came into my head throughout the interview. But yeah, check her out for more details on what she's up to now and particularly what she's going to be up to in the run-up to those Tokyo Olympics. Talking about Tokyo and social media, previous guest Kaylee Mackay is currently training in Tokyo at the Olympic pool. And through her Instagram, I got an interesting glimpse into that Olympic pool and it looks insane. Hard to describe, but I swam in the London 2012 pool and I've been to watch races there and it's a very impressive venue. This venue in Tokyo is, is seating all the way around the pool and it's like three tiers. It's like, imagine putting a 50 meter swimming pool in the middle of the Millennium Stadium or Wembley. It's a very different atmosphere. Like a, imagine like a football atmosphere for swimming. Finally this week, though, let's head over to the rugby world. The Lions coaches have now been selected for this summer's tour. And they're now sitting down to select the team that will be touring South Africa. 
every podcast I listen to at the moment seems to feel the need to do their own Lions 15. Um, and so I thought I'd take a little bit of inspiration from that idea. Uh, and I've decided I'm going to create my own fantasy rugby 15 to take on the Springboks this summer. But I'm going to use only guests that have appeared on series one of the Hips and Dips podcast. In a few weeks, I'll be joined by Rory McConaughey, who actually has a number of England caps to his name and would have been perfect for this squad. But I'm only including guests who have been on the podcast so far. So here we go. Number one, playing at prop, we have Fraser Clark, super heavyweight boxer, powerful ball carrier. I imagine a very strong scrummager and I think quite an important enforcer in the front row for us against the box. Number two, at hooker, Jess Grimson. I imagine her nailing those volleyball-style serves into the lineouts, nailing those darts of accuracy, the first job of any good hooker. Number three, at prop again, we have Omar Mezian. Props need to know about good food, but also it's important to remember most good props with any sort of personality go on to have great careers in the media, which sums Omar up pretty well. Number four, Don McGeeky. I'm not sure what else to say here apart from he's already had a professional career playing in the second row. Uh, but as you can imagine, a real workhorse, a real ball carrier, and certainly an on-field leader. Partnering him in the second row, we have Kirsty Way, um, of course, DMT trampolining. I can see her being a real line-out specialist, getting thrown up in the air doing all sorts of crazy flips and coming down with that ball in her hands. Uh, really important as a spring box, we get a really good, strong line-out specialist there. Number six, blindside flanker. It's got to be Lucas Hardy, power lifter, uh, but also a really good range of motion, which can be really important when it comes to winning that turnover ball in there around the ruck. Number seven, open side flanker. It's got to be Stuart Lancaster. Once again, professional career at flanker. Um, and he's actually my captain, a real leader on the pitch, and the only person on this list who realistically knows much about rugby. And I am including Dom in that. Uh, number eight, uh, back of the scrum, we have Adam Hames. He's got to be a powerful scrummager. You see him pushing that bobsleigh down the track. Now imagine him pushing a seven-man scrum in front of him. Um, also quite an important ball carrier. And let's not forget, a very experienced uh, karate specialist. I can imagine him being really good around those rucks, getting that turnover, getting stuck in, um, holding people up, grappling. That's what I want from my number eight in Adam Haynes. Now, against the backs, which is really exciting. Um, I think that forward pack's a little bit light going into spring box, but we've got lots of, lots of bolstered up with in this, uh, in this back line. So number nine is Sarah Collin. A great endurance athlete from her years in pentathlon. Also very accurate when it comes to using that pistol. She's going to be firing balls off from the bottom of those scrums. And we're going to have a really fast-paced back line coming up. Number 10, it's got to be Reece Smith. Attacking hockey player, goal scorer for GB. He's going to be playing heads-up rugby, taking the ball to the line and feeding some very powerful centres he's got outside of him. Uh, number 12 then. Uh, playing in our centres, we've got Charlotte Fraser, a powerful runner, massive legs, big unit, really important when it comes to crashing the ball up in midfield. Number 13, Kendall Ryan, stateside. 
again, powerful runner with a history in cycling, massive legs. I can see her being a bit with that strength, being a bit of a Brian O'Driscoll character out there at 13, getting those turnovers, but also so really going to crash it up and get beyond the game line. Uh, and then we look at that back three. So on one wing, we're going to have Beth Dobbin. Wales, can I say, out and out gas, uh, the fastest woman in Scotland. Uh, and then number 14 on the other wing, going to have to have Tom Squires. Just imagine when he gets the wind in his sails, he's going to be providing even more gas on the other wing. Um, also an intelligent and a good endurance athlete, a real 80-minuter in Tom Squires there. And to complete that 15, it's going to have to be Brody Summers playing at fullback. We've seen him do the moguls. He's got that change of direction in, in place. He's going to be a real stepper, a real Stuart Hogg figure. But also we've seen him going up in the air and doing his fancy tricks. He's going to be going up there high, bringing down the high ball, really helping us in that kicking game we're going to face against the Springboks. So there's my 15. Unfortunately, Kaylee Mackay misses out. Um, as a diver, I do feel she probably belongs more in a football 11. So maybe in a few weeks' time, ahead of the Euros, we'll get a football 11 going, and I'm sure there'll be a few divers in that. Right, so there we go. Off to South Africa to take on the box. Let me know your thoughts and also perhaps who you would pick in that formation and where. And uh, perhaps some other guests I should bring on to really bolster that subs bench. But for now, remember to stay informed, stay collaborative, and as always, most importantly, stay safe.